Amen. And thank you, worship team. Would you express your appreciation to our worship team? Thank you, guys. Great singing, everyone. Hey, my name is Ross. So glad that you're here. If you're our guest this morning, a special welcome to you. We believe that you're here because God led you here this morning, and we pray that you are reminded of the gospel, you are recentered as you hear the good news through song and through scripture and through sacrament as we celebrate the Lord's table here at the conclusion of the message. Uh, I also want to offer this. We want to pray with you. There are prayer cards in front of you. If you have a need that you want to... uh, Uh, be prayed for. We would love to know that. We also, as a part of our service now, are routinely making available at at the conclusion of the message while we take communion and the response song. There's going to be people, elders, and part of our prayer team back in the back with candles. If you would like prayer this morning, we would love to come alongside you and pray for you. Maybe it's an upcoming decision. Maybe it's just stress. Maybe there uh, is a health issue. Whatever it is, you're praying uh, for God's will just to be known, for healing, whatever it is, we would love uh, as elders and prayer team to pray with you and carry your burdens with you. So um, just want to remind you of that. Uh, as we take communion here at the uh, conclusion of the message, you don't need to be a member of Centennial Church. You need to be a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're not yet committed to Jesus Christ, we ask you to remain in your seat where you are and just spend some time talking and doing business with the Lord. But if you are a believer in Christ, we ask you to come forward and celebrate the gift of Jesus through the Lord's table this morning. In his uh, Pulitzer Prize-winning book, 1776, David McCullough describes the enormity of the task before General George Washington and the beleaguered status of the army under his charge, a volunteer army under his charge. And uh, as Washington began his uh, challenge being selected to lead the Continental Army as he addressed Congress in 1775. He wanted Congress to know this. He said, lest some unlucky event should happen unfavorable to my reputation, I beg it may be remembered by every gentleman in the room that I this day declare with utmost sincerity, I do not think myself equal to the command I am honored with. Washington would find out uh, with time just how difficult the task was before him and just, and just how beleaguered his volunteer army was. Uh, McCullough writes, it was in the first week of August at the end of the first month as, as commander when Washington learned how much worse things were than he knew. A report on the supply of gunpowder at hand revealed a total of less than 10,000 pounds and the, and the situation was not expected to improve soon. At present, there was powder enough for only about nine rounds per man. According to one account, Washington was so stunned by the report that he did not utter a word for half an hour. McCullough goes on, he said, it was the first American army and an army of everyone, men of every shape and size and makeup, different colors, different nationalities, different ways of talking, and all degrees of physical condition. Many were missing teeth or fingers, pitted by smallpox or scarred by past wars or the all too common hazards of life and toil in the 18th century. Some were not even men, but smooth-faced boys of 15 or less. And you all probably have heard the stories of the sickness that came through the encampments as winter came upon them. 
Washington wrote to one congressman, Richard Henry Lee, and explained the problem this way. The heart of the problem is an unaccountable kind of stupidity in the lower class of these people. He was talking about the New Englanders, primarily the New Yorkers, uh, which, believe me, prevails prevails but too generally among the officers who are nearly of the same kidney with the privates. All such officers' desire is to curry favor with the men and thereby get reelected. Washington's army, uh, described by others, uh, dismissed as peasantry, ragamuffins, or rabble in arms. As you think back to that century and that war, it is surprising that America would come out victorious absolute underdogs against a British army that was second to none at the time. As I think about that less than capable army and the overwhelming thought that Washington and his generals had as they looked upon the situation, I'm reminded of the situation in the first century where Jesus commissioned a ragtag, beleaguered group of fishermen and other sorts who were not up to the task at all. And I look at us today in the 21st century and feel that I also and we also are not up to the task, the mission that God has given us. One commentator writing about those first disciples uh, said this, he said, when we remember boastful Simon who denied Jesus, Thomas who who doubted him, James and John who were ambitious for themselves, and all the disciples who ran away terrified when Jesus was arrested. We are not glorifying their weakness, but glorifying the God who can use people as weak as they were and we are. God's army uh, looks tattered, looks warm, looks weak, and yet God has chosen weak disciples to be his followers and to be his fishermen throughout this world of 7.5 billion people. This morning, we're going to continue our summer series as we look through our mission as God's people and specifically our mission as Centennial Church of centering lives on Jesus Christ. And one strategy that we do that is through holistic mission. Our theme this year has been this one word, dwell, and we're talking about how God has chosen to dwell among his people. It's amazing if you think about it, that God would uh, infiltrate our camp, that he would become flesh in the person of Jesus 2,000 years ago to dwell among us, and that when he left, he would send his spirit to indwell us. And not only God's dwelling among us, but we've been talking about this idea of dwelling with one another and dwelling in worship, and dwelling in God's Word. Well, today as we consider our mission, I want to turn our attention to Mark chapter 3. So if you'll open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 13 and uh, go through verse 19, primarily look at the first three verses there. But uh, as we look at this passage in Mark, this commissioning of Jesus' first apostles, his, his disciples, what we're going to do is we're going to meet the army And we're going to see their marching orders. We're going to meet the army and we're going to see the marching orders that God uh, gives them. So if you have your Bible there, hopefully you do. I'd love for you to open it up 
Uh, there's Bibles in front of you, or perhaps you have it on your phone, but I'd love for you to follow along with me. Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, and we'll read through uh, verse 19. Verse 13 of Mark chapter 3, and he, he being Jesus, he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Verse 16, he appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the, to whom he gave the name Boanerges. I'm not, I can't pronounce that. You can try later. That is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, in this uh, passage that we see here, in this passage this morning, we're going to see uh, two movements or two rhythms, if you will, of God's people. And I think it's movements or rhythms that are a paradigm for all believers and, in fact, uh, for the church. And the two rhythms that we see uh, in particularly the first few verses there are the rhythms of gathering and scattering. Gathering and scattering. You see that, that Jesus goes upon this mountain that's reminiscent of Moses in the Old Testament. Jesus goes upon this mountain and he calls them, those whom he desires, and they come to him. They are gathered as a community around the person of Jesus. But then it says that they scatter. He sends them out. He gathers them so that he can scatter them. So throughout the New Testament, we see this idea. It's a pattern here. It's a pattern for us, this idea of gathering together around Jesus and also scattering as Jesus' people, gathering and scattering. That theme, that idea repeated throughout the New Testament as, as the words and instructions of the church are given to us. I think we naturally uh, want to hear, what's our marching orders, Jesus? What do you want us to do? And this morning, as I come to this passage, I'm, I'm leery this morning of getting to the do because I think, first of all, we have to think rightly about the gathering. Uh, and also, I just think everything in our life wants more from us, from us, doesn't it? Uh, your kids want more from you. Your boss wants more from you. The kids' sports teams want more from you. We, we are not uh, short of things to do. And as a leader and pastor, preacher this morning, I, I'm leery of giving you other things to do to keep you busy. And I think uh, the mission that Christ gives us here, ha we have to see it. Uh, in light of that first rhythm, in light of that first call to be with Jesus and to gather. We've all got plenty of stuff to do. Uh, you're probably sitting here and think, I don't need one more thing to do. And yet this is the mission that Jesus has given us. It's the worldwide mission of go and make disciples of all nations. He's given us this call. And yet I think uh, we are by nature doers. We're by nature better at doing than being. We're uh, more inclined to run around than to sit and to worship at the feet of Jesus. And my conviction this morning is it's the, the best witnesses 
The best missionaries, if you will, the best witnesses are those who are, first of all, worshipers, who have gathered, who have developed intimacy with Jesus, by which gives them the power and the passion to go out and witness for Jesus. So the first thing we see here, this, there is this order and priority that cannot be overlooked. The first thing we see here is that these guys, these original guys and us uh, as well, are called to intimacy with Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus. And in a second, we'll talk about impact for Jesus. But first of all, the order and priority here has to be intimacy with Jesus. And I get that from the words there in verse 15, or 14, excuse me. There's a purpose statement. He appointed 12, whom he also named as apostles, and the purpose statement is this, so that they might, first of all, be with him. Jesus just didn't just call people to himself and say, now go and make disciples. He wanted to spend three years with them, training them, developing a relationship with them, preparing them for the mission that they would be about. I don't know any mission that anyone takes be it military or, or uh, whatever, civic mission trip that you, a short-term mission trip that you might take. I don't know any important mission that doesn't, first of all, require some preparation and some training. And how much more so in this worldwide mission that Jesus gives us? First of all, the first order of business, the first priority is this idea of being with Jesus. And I love the words here. I love the intimate words that are given to us here in verse 13 where it says, he called to him those whom he, what, desired. If you look above this passage, if you look below this passage, you're going to see a word repeated over and over, and that word being crowd. Jesus was attracting crowds. And yet he goes up on a mountain and he decides, I'm going to select men whom I desire that will further this mission after my life, and they are men in whom I desire, men in whom I want to spend time with. Folks, the good news that I have for us this morning is that you are, if you are here this morning and you are trying, if you are struggling, if you are hanging on by a thread just trying to follow Jesus, the good news is this. You're here because Jesus, the creator, the God of the universe, desires you. He desires to know you. He knows you. He desires you to know him. He wants an intimate relationship with you by which will be the means through which you impact other people. The God of the universe desires us to sit with us for us to learn of him, for us to know him, for us to know his words and to know his heartbeat and to know his incredible sacrifice for us, which we will celebrate this morning, that he loves us so much that he bled for us. It's a call of intimacy to be, first of all, with him. Jesus desired you. The other verbs there, Jesus called you. And Jesus has appointed you to be his son or daughter, and to be his ambassador, to be his missionary out in this world. The first order of business, the first priority, is to sit at the feet of Jesus. I think about that story of 
Mary and Martha, where Martha is scurrying around. There's nothing wrong with serving Jesus. We all need to serve Jesus. We want you to serve Jesus through this body and throughout in the community. But Jesus tells Mary and Martha, Martha has chosen what is better. To first of all, be a worshiper before we're a servant. Who do you think has the most stock? Who do you think has the most impact when they talk about Jesus that afternoon or that next day, Mary or Martha? The one who was at his feet, the one who was listening, the one who was worshiping. Our first order of business is to get to know this one who loves us so, this one who desires us, this one who has called us by name to come to him as a son or daughter, to go for him as his ambassador. I don't know about you, but uh, when I was growing up, when I was a kid in gym class, I wasn't always, now let me rephrase that, I was never the first one picked on the basketball team. Can any of you identify, you guys were all superstars, you were all Americans. But to, but to know that the God of the universe has looked down upon the crowds, upon humanity, and he has chosen you to be on his team. He has said, I desire you, I delight you that no matter what's happening in your heart this morning, no matter what your fears, no matter what your struggles, no matter what you're facing at the doctor this week, to be able to celebrate the good news that Jesus has looked down and he has desired you, he has called you, he has picked you to be on his team to be in his beleaguered, weak army by which he will win the war ultimately. So my question to us this morning, we wanna do something. I want us to do stuff. I'm a doer. I write lists. I like to check things off lists. I had my ask myself the question this week, but... In my doing, am I with Jesus enough? I can be about ministry, but am I about Jesus? Was pricked by the words of one pastor named Eugene Peterson this week who says this. He says, the pastor's first priority is not communication, but communion. Being with Jesus, hearing from God, sitting at the feet of the teacher. It's Jesus himself who said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And there again, an order and a priority. Follow me and I will make you and you will become a fisherman, a fisherwoman. There's 7.5 billion people on this planet. And God in his sovereignty has picked you and you and you and you and me and you and you and you to be his children and to be his ambassadors wherever we go. How's your intimacy with Jesus? Because it's out of our intimacy that comes our impact and the most effective witness that we can have. We see the second purpose, the second rhythm or movement, if you will. They gather and they scatter. He called them to be with him so that, or excuse me, so that he might be with them and 
he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He might send them out to preach. To, that is our calling. That is our mission statement, to take the gospel to the corners, to the ends of the earth, right? To share the good news as well as do good works. Notice that he says preach and to have authority to cast out demons. How many of you have cast out a demon lately? Now, we don't have time to go into this, okay, but I believe this still happens. And I believe that even of lately, of late, I've seen evidence that, that Satan's minions are at work, that we literally face demons as we go about God's, God's work. And we may not take this uh, little portion of the scripture that actually kind of abounds in lots of places, even in the New Testament and ancient times, but it's still happening today. It's still happening even in this part of the world that we're potentially blind to. But let me just summarize these, these two patterns of, of scattering. That is that we're to help by sharing the good news, but we're also to help by doing good works. And so casting out demons is a good work. If you have a demon, you need that cast out. And we have authority over the evil forces, it says, multiple places. Ephesians chapter 6 and other places in the New Testament were taught. But to not get bothered in the details here of casting out demons, Jesus sends his followers out with the good news as well as good works. You're going to preach the gospel of grace and you're going to demonstrate that gospel through good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, it's a favorite passage of some of us. We often memorize this verse 8 and 9 and forget verse 10. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith, verses 8 and 9 say. But we're saved for good works because God has put us on this earth to do good works. And those good works glorify our Father and they shine the light in a dark world that other people can come to know Jesus by both the spoken word as well as our good works. We had some folks yesterday that were a part of a good work. Doug Wines has a neighbor. He's a disabled veteran. And some of you joined Doug and Vicki yesterday out at this disabled veteran a couple houses down from one of uh, Doug's properties. He had an overgrown yard. He's a disabled vet. So some people from our church partnering with the American Legion, they went out yesterday and they shared the gospel through their work. Doing a good deed, and some of you, we can't really see up close who all, but you know who you were. There's Doug, and what's the gentleman's name, Doug? Don. They're going to go back in two weeks and finish this job if you want to talk to Doug and Vicki. But here's a, an opportunity where you just, just by doing good in a community, God's light is shined forth, both through the good news as well as, as good works. Now, is that guy good? saved because Christians have gone out and done something good in his front yard? No, he still has to hear the gospel. He still has to receive the gospel. But you think about it like this. The, the gospel, good works are like music and the good news is like the lyrics. The good works, our lives before men, the good works that we do is like the music that sets the stage for people to hear the lyrics, to hear the words of the gospel. So we may go out of here and you may not encounter a demon this week, but surely you can encounter someone in your life that has a need, someone that's, that's homebound, someone that's hurting right now, someone that's grieving, 
someone that's on your block that has not a friend in the neighborhood. Jesus sends them out not just to preach and to bang people over the head with the Bibles, as it were, but to love people, to meet true needs, as well as share the true word of the gospel. Let me quote Martin Luther King Jr. here. Christianity deals with both heaven and earth. Any religion that professes to be concerned with the souls of men and is not concerned with the slums that doom them, the economic conditions that strangle them, and the social conditions that cripple them is a dry-as-dust religion. Jesus says, come to me. I desire you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. And fueled by the intimacy with Jesus, go out into that dark world and do good and share the good news. And folks, let me just confess to you this morning, this part of our mission statement is the hardest for me. I confess that as a preacher. Holistic mission, going out there and telling our neighbors and friends about Jesus. I still get scared about that. That still makes me sweat, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm not naturally an evangelist. In our home, uh, Elizabeth and Campbell are the two that are, they're, they're my little evangelists. They go, anywhere they go, they make friends. We are at the beach a couple weeks ago. Any day we go, Campbell's got some friends. She's got some little disciples that she's trying to reach out to. You know, she comes up to me one day, she says, Daddy, that one goes to church. That's, honestly, that's not me. Uh, but here's, here's, here's what I want you to hear this morning. Sometimes when we think about evangelism, when we think about sharing the gospel, there's a couple images that come to our mind. One of them is Billy Graham. Hey, we're not Billy Graham. Can't do that. That's his job. The other unfortunate uh, picture that comes in our mind is a couple people that knock on your door and share a, a word with you that way. And so those are like the two, you know, examples that we have that, both, that most of the time meet most of us with like, eh. I'm just going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. If that's the options, then don't count me in for that. I'll leave it to the professional good guys, the evangelists, to do that. But you can do this. Jesus has called you to do this as you go throughout your day, as you go throughout your week. It's been called the Great Commission, but it's, it's better called the Everyday Commission. And though we're not, though I'm not a natural evangelist, God has placed us, since we've been, Elizabeth and I have been married, God has placed us strategically in every place that we've lived where there have been some people, some neighbors that we've been able to impact, hopefully uh, through our works as well as our witness that we were able to make an impact on. And most recently, as we moved into this neighborhood that we're currently in, uh, pretty quickly as we moved there, we met uh, a family, we met a couple named Justin and Abby. And uh, they have two daughters that are about the same ages as our older two kids. And we began uh, just to develop a friendship with them. We knew they weren't churchgoers. Uh, We knew that they were kind of going through a few things, struggling with a few things. We began to pray for them. We began to just be friendly with them. Um, With time, you know, they find out, hey, you know, the guy down the street's a preacher, you know, so sometimes that makes it easy, sometimes that makes it harder. Uh, but we, we began praying for Justin and Abby, and over the course of time, we, we hosted this uh, kind of outreach Bible discussion, outreach uh, Christianity discussion called Explore God. Some of you will remember that a couple years ago. And the couple that we really wanted most to come, the, Pope, the, the couple that we were praying most for was Justin and Abby. And Abby began coming to the 
deal weekly with her and just a couple other neighbors. And Justin was less interested, you could tell, but finally Justin showed up. And I wish I could tell you that the night he showed up, it went great, but the guy was so uncomfortable, you could tell. I mean, he just had it all over his body. He just did not want to be there, but he came. And, and Elizabeth began to uh, reach out to Abby, and Abby was invited and came to one of the Bible studies here at our church, and they began meeting weekly. Well, while they were at Bible study on Tuesday evenings, Justin and I decided, hey, let's get together on dinner, and let's share dinner together. And so we started to share dinner on Tuesday nights. Well, a couple weeks into that, we decided, hey, well, why don't we, while they're doing Bible study, why don't we... Uh, talk about something. Why don't we do a study? And so what we decided to do was just kind of, we're not going to go through a book or whatever, but we're just going to talk about uh, whatever's on your heart, Justin, whatever questions you have about Christianity. And so we just started this dialogue. They got deeper and deeper, and we opened up the Bible. It was one of the first times Justin had really studied the Bible. And things, and things developed, and conversation got deeper. And I'll never forget uh, one conversation I had with him as, as, as time had gone on, where he's telling me, no, this is just weird. You know, he's like, just the other day, I'm going to work, and I'm praying in the car on the way to work, and I'm listening to sermons. Like, who is this guy? You know? What is happening to me was actually his question. Well, in time, Abby rededicated her life to Christ, and one Sunday morning, Justin prayed to receive Christ. And just this week, I was having a conversation with Justin about some things going on in their life, and he said, we're facing these big decisions, and we're trying to... uh, I I was telling Abby just the other day, we're just trusting God in this. It's amazing. And we didn't didn't do anything special except be good neighbors and gently bring them along and bring up the conversation and just care for them. You can do that. We can do that. Who has God strategically put in your life next door at work at school, in the mom group, whatever, that God has strategically placed you there, God has strategically placed those people there uniquely for you to begin to pray for them, to show genuine care for them, and to begin a conversation about spiritual things and about the person of Jesus. That's the way it's going to happen for most of us. Most of us are not going to go knock on doors. Most of us are not going to stand on a platform and share the gospel. But most of us can love neighbors that need help and begin conversations through prayer of people that are searching and people that are struggling that God may be pulling on their hearts. Holistic mission comes comes forth in our mission statement because really the way we think about it is it's an outflow of the other three. Centering lives on Jesus Christ through genuine community, authentic worship, biblical teaching, and holistic mission. First of all, we've got to be with Jesus. We've got to build intimacy with him through his word, through others, the community. You see in this passage that that Jesus is calling people to himself, not just one by one, but he calls them into community, that they might be with him. And then he lists these 12 disciples who are very different. And they're learning about Jesus. They're being with Jesus in community. You know, I could, I could be a, a much holier person if I was just off by myself. You know that? You feel that way sometimes? If I weren't married, if I didn't have kids, if I didn't have to work with people, if I didn't have to be around you folks, I could just be a really holy person. 
But God has designed this deal that through the community, as diverse as we are, that that's, that's part of the ingredient of becoming like Jesus. He calls us to Jesus, but he calls us to Jesus together. And mission is the outflow of being with Jesus, of biblical teaching, of community, of, of worshiping. And from that worship and from that community and from that learning, we go out as his witnesses into the world. A lot of psychologists will tell us humanity's two greatest needs are love and significance. Love and significance. And folks, right here in this passage, we have the greatest love and the greatest significance, the greatest purpose. The greatest love of Jesus, that the God of the universe has so loved us, has so desired us that he has called us to be in his family. That's the greatest love there is. And the greatest purpose, the greatest significance, the greatest calling on our life to take that love to our neighbors, to take that love to our coworkers, our friends, our family. He loves us. He loves us so much, he bled for us. That's what we celebrate at the table. May we be reminded of that sweet love. May we be strengthened by that love to go out into our community today, tomorrow, and be his ambassadors. Would you pray with me? Father, I think right now the song Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. God, you have loved us, you have desired us, you have called us, you have appointed us, you have bled for us, Jesus, that we might know you and live our lives for you. Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that you would strengthen us, that you would give us confidence by that love, and that you might send us out of here as your ambassadors, as lights in this world, to do good works and share the good news. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.